Welcome to The Sword on the Trial, a podcast of Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. I'm Jared Longshore. And I'm Tom Askell. Thanks for listening to The Sword on the Trial today. Man, we have a conference coming up that we want to let you all know about. You've probably already heard about it, but if you haven't, January 20... One first through the 23rd. That's right. We're having a conference on the doctrine of God. We have James Dolezal coming. We yeah. have Chad Vegas coming. You're going to be speaking. I'm going to be speaking. Yeah. And uh, it's terribly important for us to address the doctrine of God. Uh, John Calvin uh, speaks of this right at the opening of his institutes. He talks about the knowledge of God and the knowledge of man. All saving and knowledge. We're watching the knowledge of man get all sorts of corrupted, and that is because it flows from the knowledge of God, so a terribly important time to address the doctrine of God. That's right. So uh, if you've been uh, mildly awake over the last 200 decades or so, uh, you've heard people talk about God to me, you know, and how what God is like and what he's not like. And, and sadly, even within conservative evangelical circles, there's been a great deal of confusion at some very central points on the doctrine of God. And so these brothers are coming in to address this, uh, are men of uh, proven understanding in how they have spoken, written on these issues. So we invite you to join us. Uh, I think early bird registration is open till the end of August, I believe it is. So if you go to founders.org and just look for the conference information, Doctrine of God, January 21 through 23 in Cape Coral, Florida. And if you've never been in Southwest Florida in the winter, uh, this would be a great excuse to come. It is wonderful. In fact, you know, I wouldn't recommend this, but you could sign up for the conference and just come and hang out on the sunshine uh, in Southwest Florida during those days because it'll be beautiful here. There you go. Hey, uh, the book By What Standard is still on a sale. It will be until the end of this month, so you only have a few days left. But go to founders.org and you can grab this new resource. We're overwhelmed by how many people have been celebrating this book mm-hmm. and purchasing this book, and we hope it's a great resource for you yeah we're uh we're very close to having to go into a second printing in fact we're trying to shuffle some things and uh, make a few little corrections that need to be made to see if we can't get that going so we don't have a lapse in its availability but praise god for the reception that it's receiving amen well today we want to talk about what it means to defy tyrants and (laughs) acknowledge that jesus is king and uh boy we have a whole lot going on so you have the nevada supreme court case issue uh, we have Pastor John MacArthur in Grace Community Church out in California mm-hmm. that met in disobedience to the governor's mandate. And then you've got Nine Marks Ministries, and Mark's longtime friend of yours, Jonathan mm-hmm. as well, Jonathan mm-hmm. Lehman, who Jonathan Lehman wrote an article, and then they've come out with a podcast as well and tried to talk about um, Jonathan's article and basically why Jonathan was taking a different uh, approach to the situation than a Grace Community Church was. And so much to discuss yeah this should be fun it should be and these are things that uh, you and i have been discussing our elders have been discussing now for months and months as we've tried to navigate our way through and shepherd the flock here in how to deal with uh, what's been happening in unprecedented ways at least in our lifetimes from governmental authorities and so it's it's something that we have been wrestling with and to see the, uh, the conversation get broadened out and, and to see that there really are significant differences. Uh, they're core agreements, and we want to acknowledge that. But there are significant differences in terms of how to apply those things on which we do agree. And uh, those are not incidental. In fact, uh, we think those can be monumental at points 
for a multiple a multitude of reasons, not the least of which is the fact that we're living here now, not in first century Rome and not in uh, 20th century communist China or Soviet Union. So we have to think carefully, critically, biblically mm-hmm. in light of where we are. Mm-hmm. This is fun. Uh, we do this a lot. We have so many conversations. One of the things you'll probably notice is sometimes Tom and I will try to like, we'll press issues and it's so so good to have a good friend where you we obviously think of the same about pretty much everything in life and there's a few things <laughs> it's like you were 1689 baptist both got a bunch of kids and both pastors and churches and everything but somebody picked on us once about the same we're just an amen echo chamber <laughs> here. but we like to to uh, try to take up a position and you strong man it right you try to strong man a position that you don't even hold to and then it just helps you get mm. down into the nitty-gritty of it. So let's do it with the Nevada case. We didn't talk about this, but I want to try to do it. Ready? All right. So let's talk about the Nevada case. What happened? Uh, Nevada governor said that um, casinos can meet at 50% capacity and other mm. places can meet at 50% capacity. Churches can only have 50 people. Is That's that right. right? Yeah, and he was wrong. So next subject. He was <laughs> so he was wrong. The Calvary Chapel appealed the, to the decision to right. a civil court. Worked its and, way up. And uh, worked its way up to the Supreme Court. Right. Supreme Court ruled. One sentence that they are not going to overrule the lower court's decision to uphold the governor's edict. So the governor is right, says the, the Supreme eyes Court. Of the Supreme Court. Now we've got dissenting opinions. We do. Excellent from, ones from Alito and Gorsuch and a very analytical one from Kavanaugh. Um, uh, for my money, probably the two short paragraphs of uh, uh, Gorsuch are what everybody ought to read. It'll take you 40 seconds to read it. Alito's I like as well because he gets uh, not well, – he does get kind of deep in the weeds, but he stays very – um, grounded in my estimation in, in the whole idea of these unalienable rights granted to us from our creator. Mm-hmm. And um, then Kavanaugh's analytical um, wasn't, wasn't as thrilled by all of the arguments that he was trying to marshal forth. Okay. It, it seemed like he was just saying, you know, the fact that they didn't treat churches the same way they treat everybody else, that's bad. If you're just jumping into this, there we, we agree. This is kind of related to the nine marks in the Grace Community Church. We believe there's sphere sovereignty. There is a civil realm. There is a familial realm. There is an ecclesiastical realm. You agree with those three things, right? Yeah, I do. And, yeah. and then there's times where those places overlap. So yeah. civil authorities have to protect life, and that can relate to whether the church meets if, say, there's an active shooter or if the building's on fire or something like that or if there's a virus. So we all agree that there are such categories and there is some overlap. Sure. Um, in the case of people have talked about, a, you know, disciplining children. If you're ever abusing children, the civil authority has a right to come in over there. Right. And, you know, you're, you, you are a... Uh uh, a person, you're a citizen of the United States, you're a father of a family, you're a Christian church member. Uh-huh. And so, you know, you, we, we live, most people will live in all three, I guess all people will live to some degree in all three of those spheres. And so we're not saying that, or you and I have been pretty clear, we're not saying there's never a time when the civil magistrate cannot issue an order that the Church of Jesus Christ should not mm-hmm. to pay attention to. There are extreme cases like that, but the key word there is extreme cases. Listen, listen to what uh, Justice Alito said about this Nevada uh, decision. He said, the Const- this is a, a minority report. These are the dissenting opinions and that these uh, three jurists wrote together with Clarence Thomas, who signed on with them. The Constitution guarantees the free exercise of religion. It says nothing about the freedom to play craps or blackjack 
to feed tokens into a slot machine or to engage in any other game of chance. So, you know, praise God for that. Mm. I mean, that's, that's, he, he is immediately going to the First Amendment and what the Constitution doesn't grant to churches, but recognizes and assures churches will be defended from the uh, oppression of a government. These, this is one of those unalienable rights, and Kavanaugh basically says the same thing as well. Okay, before we get too far down our lane of agreement, I will take up the uh, case that this Nevada governor is merely a kind and loving man who You're wants the <laughs> who wants the good of his state. So, so yes, I'm gonna. I'll take up the side that it was a lawful order. It was the right thing to do. It was a good thing to do. He's the governor, and there's a virus. Romans 13. <laughs> That's my argument. He's the governor, and there is a virus, and he's to protect life. <laughs> and if you Christians gather up in your churches, you're going to do things like sing, and you're going to spread the virus, and other people are going to get sick. In this state that I have a responsibility before God to protect, I have to protect these people. You're going to spread a virus among them that's going to kill them. And so you, I've allowed you to meet. You just have to meet with 50 people. What's wrong with that? Well, I want to know why your great concern for the citizens of the state of Nevada doesn't extend to Caesar's Palace, where they could have, according to your rule, uh, thousands of people who are drinking, getting drunk without masks on as they do so. First of all, people aren't allowed to get drunk in my casinos. Oh, absolutely they are. It happens all the time. Uh, But let's just say they don't. Okay. Okay. So they're just drinking with their masks off. They're going to be in closer connection for longer periods of time. They're going to travel from not only all the states in the union, but from places around the world where you can potentially then spread the virus uh, internationally. Don't tell me you care about the citizens of Nevada while you're doing that. There's no singing in these casinos. There's a lot of shouting. Singing projects um, viruses. There's a lot of talking. There's a lot of shouting. I put a a 50% limit on the casinos, so they're not allowed to operate at full capacity. Why don't you do a 50% uh, thing on the churches? Because you just need to have 50 people. Yeah, because... You just need to do what I say. I'm the governor. Yeah, there you go. You're duplicitous, and you're outside your lane, and I'm going to nail you on two things. One is the very authority you are wielding has been given to you by God above and he has not given you the right to wield it in the way that you are wielding it now. You're misusing your authority. You're accountable to God and so you need to repent. Secondly, you are in violation of the Constitution of the United States which you said you would uphold when you took office and therefore you are a tyrant and you are trying to get us as citizens to disobey the highest civil authority in this land and we defy you and we will be in complete agreement with the highest civil authority, as Roman 13 tells us that we should be, while obeying God, not you. All right, two levels to the argument. We can break off the uh, my attempted strongman. It's just the hardest <laughs> thing ever to strongman. That's right. 50%, 50 people, 50%. I, they both have the word 50. They both have the word 50, and it's same, same. Well, you know what you, you know what we just proved there, disproved there, that old adage that's better to have uh, a poor argument with a good attorney than to have a good argument with a poor attorney. That doesn't always work, as we just oh, demonstrated. That that. Yeah, we know that uh, you would say me in any kind of attorney argument, but that's cool. Um, so let's pick up on that because you mentioned two things that we've been talking a lot about. There's this, there's this, there's one way to think about this whole civil disobedience thing, postulate a, a any kind of nation state that um, that has no government whatsoever, and you just think biblically 
governors, our, our civil magistrates, our uh, ministers of God, the Bible mm-hmm. says, and therefore they need to obey God. And then you have this whole second layer that you would add to it for the United States where we have a constitution. Right. We've got to think about how to operate. So let's just take um, the the Nevada case and the the first one. Just kind of ignore America for a while. A governor said that... Um, that you could only meet for with 50 people in your church building is the governor requiring anyone to sin yes the 51st person that would be gathering for worship he's he's required in fact the whole church to comply with that you mean that the 51st person can't gather yeah that's sin not to assemble so you he's he's prohibiting the 51st person from gathering so Mm -hmm. if the church has 51 members and they all want to gather that 51st person is in violation of the governor's edict. And if he complies with the governor's edict, will be in violation of the command of his God who says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Couldn't that church, um, you know, J.D. Greer's doing this with his church. He's kind of... Planted 2,500 churches. Temporarily separating them up. So couldn't a church technically not sin and still abide by that order? Look, a church could do a lot of things and not sin. But the reason that a church does things could make it fall into categories of sin. So if a church is doing something because a tyrant says it is to be done, that is clearly contrary to what God says is to be done, then that would be sinful. If a church, however, you know, we've talked about this, and this is the other side of the coin or the other argument we need to get into eventually. And you can't have one conversation without the other in America. If a church decides that this is the best way for us to meet given all of the circumstances that we have here, then we can do that and be uh, in accord with what uh, a tyrannical governor may decree, though his decree is tyrannical. Or a church can look at things uh, for sake of expediency. As we have seen in Calvin's Geneva, when they sent out missionaries to France, there were some of these churches that had thousands of members. They couldn't all meet together. There was just no no capacity, no building that would allow them, or they had uh, ability to do that. They had to meet at different times. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a matter of expediency. So there are things like that that a common light of nature can guide you on, and it's not sinful. But whenever a church is determined, hey, this is the best way under God that we should meet and we're following Scripture, our consciences are held captive to the Word of God on how we do what we're doing, and a tyrant comes in and says, no, you may not do, you may not do that. You must do it my way. Well, for a church to cave to that without protest, uh, I would argue, puts them, if not into sin, on the pathway quickly to sin. This is an interesting... Uh, I want to get into the whole American thing, but this is interesting if you take this case without any of the American constitution and you, I am of a mind that that governor in Nevada, even regardless of the constitution would be sinning against God, whose, whose servant he is, um, by telling churches, they could only have 50 people. It's not his lane. But, Back to the question about making people sin. We're, we're saying that we're saying that a church in Nevada could operate underneath that um, that statute that he handed down and mm-hmm. not sin. Yeah. By yeah. dissembling. Well, churches. yeah. I mean, a church could be doing that already. 
So should a church do that if they like if it wasn't American, we didn't have a constitution? Should a church abide by that and just find a way to navigate it? Well, it would depend on what kind of you know if if, if you're living under a dictatorship, then yeah, you know, I would say that's that's a battle for another day. You got you got first battles to fight there. So you would say the dictator is sinning against God yes. in that case, and the church should find a way to operate without sin underneath that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, so you know, you, and that's the that's why you can't have one conversation without the other. Because we are in a constitutional republic that recognizes unalienable rights granted from God Mm -hmm. that have been uh, guaranteed protection in our constitutional republic. And so that makes it different. So we're going from that to tyrannical judgments and edicts versus going into a tyrannical environment and government where we're going to establish a beachhead for the gospel. Mm -hmm. So those are two different things there. Which is really important because if you are in one of these, um, say you're in a communist area or there's a dictator or there's a king, you're in a monarchy of some sort, and that king, that king can be sinning right? because he is not decreeing in accordance with divine revelation. So this is another part of that. It's my understanding, given that the fact that all civil magistrates are ministers of God, that they must decree, they must operate, they must legislate, they must judge in accordance with divine revelation. That doesn't mean that they need to have chapter and verse, right? Um, um, but it does mean that they are God's servant. Therefore, they don't just get to make up uh, artificial, superficial, on a whim kind of things. If I were going to counsel any kind of king, I would say you have to do this. So say in Nevada, if it wasn't America and he was a king, uh, I would say what you're doing is sin against God. And given the fact that the, and then you're talking to the church, if you're living in some kind of monarchy and your king has said this, um, in, in one sense, I would not have a problem with those people disobeying if they if they choose to. Yeah. I would not. So I think when that's important to say. Right. We're, I think what you were saying earlier is just choose your battles. Like, right. do you want to die on that hill? And if you want to, fine. Well, you're sinning and God has told us to meet. And yes, we could find a way to operate underneath this um, sinful edict that mm-hmm. you have handed down. But we could also decide not to because yeah. Jesus is king. He's your king and he's <laughs> our king. And we'll continue to assemble like this and we're going to suffer whatever consequences come from your sinful edict. But there is a way for them, even if it were a monarchy, to operate underneath that, to disassemble into their separate churches. And they're not sinning. They're still able to right. obey Jesus. And they're they're just complying with a an unlawful tyrant. Uh, they should find appropriate ways to communicate that respectfully because they are to disciple the nations, including that uh, tyrannical king, and say that he needs to decree things that are in accordance with divine revelation, not things that are transgressing divine revelation. But they could operate underneath of it without sinning. If if the sinful decree from the tyrant in Nevada right, required them to sin, then they must Absolutely. Yeah. And you've hit on a good point. And I think that gets to some of the confusion and disagreements that we have with others. Uh, you know, one, one, one issue is, okay, you can recognize that he is God's minister and ordained of God, even though he issues godless decrees. And so that's Nero. And we have to acknowledge that he, he didn't get there on his own. He got there under the providence of God. So anything we do in disagreeing to find needs to be done with acknowledgement and respect that he is God's minister. He might be a very wicked minister rebelling against the God who made him such, but nevertheless, he is God's minister. Uh, the, the other point you made earlier is, okay, 
you could you could operate in ways that are not sinful under a tyrannical law that says only 50 people can meet you know if you're in a monarchy where the monarch makes that decree you could do this and decide not to fight the battle while saying you know what your that decree is wrong you could do that i think that's what's going on with some of our evangelical friends that we disagree with here is they say man don't use your capital on this you know, we're going to have to save our capital for big battles. This is Jonathan Lehman who said this in his, uh, in, his in, in his article. He said, is it time to spend that capital? That's right. And his argument is that he's saying, um, yes, we might, we might disobey um, at this point. But he cites the LGBTQ community. Basically, right. they're exercised, and you know, and there's there's a strong lobby movement, and they're going to get laws established. And so he's saying, down the road, we may need to spend that capital, and maybe now is not the best time yeah, to and, spend it. And what I'm saying is, man, uh, we're being robbed blind of any capital. And if we're not careful, whenever you, you say we're going to wait, we're going to wait, we're going to wait, and now we're going to spend our capital, and you look in your bag, and it's empty because there's nothing there, and we're not going into a monarchy we are living in a constitutional republic where these rights from god have been recognized and they have been encoded in the very first amendment and to give up that to give up ground there is going backwards it's not saving your bullets right so let's get into the thing with with uh john MacArthur grace community they met um, Lehman wrote his piece where he was expressing this, and and that that I think this was a second or third point, the one that we just identified, where he he had four points. One was don't spend your capital, and I think that's an important one to double down on in the way that we're thinking about the situation. As I listened to Jonathan and Mark's podcast, what what was interesting to me is they were citing the three spheres. They're saying we all agree to this. They're citing that there's overlap in these spheres. They're talking about Christians can agree to disagree, and we. We agree with all of that. There's mm-hmm. three spheres. Mm-hmm. They overlap. Christians can agree to disagree. It became clear to me that this is about wisdom and knowing the times, right. knowing what's going on right now. And when Lehman's saying, hey, there might come a time where we have to spend this capital or we have to really stand up, um, but but not yet. The problem with that, as I see it, is it's not acknowledging where we're really at. Like the the rampant secularism <laughs> that is that is just penetrated and grounded our system as it operates right now and at the at the um, national level and at the state level we live in a rampantly secularist america and that 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 means people are not indifferent so mm-hmm. I, I still think so many christians think that well you know my jehovah witness person over there is not indifferent and my uh, muslim person living across the street uh, is not indifferent but the secular people are just kind of these they're kind of standing 50-50, and they just kind of make up these laws. That's not at all what's going on. You look back at Roe v. Wade, we're slaughtering babies. We're just slaughtering babies. The government is committed to that, pre-committed to that, and the way that they operate, and this is the law of our land, and it's it's an abomination to God. Mm-hmm. And Gorsuch's recent decision uh, with uh, the homosexuality issues, with a Burgerfell that has come next to this, this is all of the fruit of a, a pre-commitment to a whole different worldview, a whole different way of approaching life. And so now you come down here where people are mandating masks and they're telling churches that either have limitations on their meetings or they can't meet at all or they have to meet in certain ways. 
this is all the fruit of where we have already been. We should have stood up a whole right. long time ago. It's not about, well, there might be some time that we need to stand up. We should have been standing up back when Roe v. Wade happened. Right. Right. No, absolutely. And, and you know, Jonathan makes this point, says, do we really want to spend down our capital on pandemics? Well, I, I'm not I don't think that's a good way to phrase it or to, to frame the, the issue. It, it's like, OK, we we have stage one cancer in this patient. But do we really want to spend our chemotherapy and radiation on that? Because, you know, stage three and stage four is far more serious. And we want to make sure that we have chemotherapy left for stage three and stage four my take on all this is in line with what you just described we need to wake up to where we are as a culture as a nation to what's been happening to us how we have been played we've been manipulated for a long time and we are now on the brink we're on a precipice and though god is sovereign there's no reason to fret or fear but if we will have eyes to see what is going on, if we will discern the times, if we'll have understanding to know what Israel ought to do, then we will stand up and say, no, we're not going a step further. We're taking our stand here, and we're going to say to tyrants that we defy you. Mm-hmm. We are not going to allow you to manipulate the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ, into conforming to your godless approaches to how society ought to function. When, when we, we have these notions about persecution and, um, you know, unlawful overreaches of authority, like they're going to walk in like one day you totally, you can do whatever you want to as a church. And then the next day they're coming and arresting your, your pastors. And that's not how it works. Like we get those ideas out of our minds. I want you to think about California for a minute. I looked at some stats. So California had um, has about 6,000 people a year, according to the CDC, that die of the flu. Uh, every year? Every year. How come they hadn't been shut down for 6, decades? 6,000, 6,000, 6, give or take, every year dying from the flu. Um, so far, COVID, and with all of our COVID numbers, we know there's somebody that dies from a motorcycle accident, <laughs> and that's actually dying from COVID. That happened and, in Florida. Yes, and so and so they're counting like all kinds of stuff as COVID deaths. But given all of that, the CDC, 8,000 people have died with COVID, not from COVID, but with COVID uh, in however many, probably seven months now they're tracking mm-hmm. this, give or take, I'm not sure exactly, but it's at least probably Five, up to seven months. months. Yeah. So 6,000, 6,000, 6,000, 6,000, 8,000, well... Uh, you you can't assemble anymore. Yeah, you can't assemble anymore. We have a crisis, and we need to move the Overton window on this so people can think clearly. Like you don't you don't have the right to assemble because the government said you have the right to assemble. Right, that's not the way it works. Like Jesus is the King, and Jesus doesn't have anything in the Bible and nothing in divine revelation that says you know don't meet in groups. So. If you're a Christian, you should be thinking like Jesus is the King over heaven and earth, and you are His. You are His servant. You are His servant. You are not Him. You are His servant, and so you're going to have to give a good reason not to assemble. If we're not to assemble, right? You have to be able to do that, right? And if you don't have a good reason, then we should not obey you, right? We shouldn't do that because. Jesus is the king. And if we start to obey you, when you say stuff like, you know, don't meet because 
8,000 people have died this year. I know 6,000 people died last year, but that's a little too much. If we start to do that, where is it going to stop? You're rebelling against the the king whose servant you are. Mm-hmm. And so, like, we, we want to do this respectfully. We want to do this uh, without animosity. But it's, it's just the fundamental commitment to Jesus Christ is, is God. And I, I'm wondering if there's a sense where some people in even reformed evangelicaldom think that Jesus is really only king over the church. Yeah. yeah. I really think this is the problem. Well, he's king over the church. And so we'll find ways to obey as we said earlier, which are not th- those ideas aren't 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 altogether wrong. Like yes, you can find ways. You can find all sorts of ways to live under tyrants mm-hmm. and and still uh, be Christian and not fall into sin. But you're missing the whole point that you are to be discipling the nations. Like you are to be seeing the the knowledge of the Lord cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and that includes the governor, and that includes the legislature, and that includes the justices. And they need to be doing that through the word. And you're actually proclaiming the death of the Lord until he comes when you assemble for the Lord's Supper, when you gather for worship, angels are gathering in. I mean, I want people to think about this. Churches that haven't met, you know, think about the angelic realm involved. I mean, angels come and assemble with us. Some of them are trying to go assemble at your church and they go, oh, well, not today, not <laughs> yeah. today. And that is significant. Absolutely. That's significant. You're not just doing this kind of practice down here that has no implications for the broader world in which you live. Well, I you, go on forever. Probably you, all yeah, place. you've touched four or five things. You know, it's, we, all, we com- it's all packed in there. It, it, it is. And that's why on one level, we cannot have one conversation without the other. We cannot have the conversation of Jesus is king including over governments, over society, over education, no sphere where he's not Lord and King, without also saying, okay, we are in a constitutional republic where the kingship of Jesus was recognized far with far greater clarity right. at our founding than it is today. Ours recognizes the unalienable rights that do belong to all men, whether governments recognize them or not. Exactly. And today, it is those God-given rights that are being infringed upon, particularly as we've seen with these governmental edicts from states, uh, with regard to the worshiping of God's people, the gathering of the ecclesia, which is an assembly, the, the church. So you, you've got that. You, you've got these other... Uh, issues that come to play as well is okay you know how do we respond then and is the default mode of the christian to be respect toward our civil authorities absolutely is the default mode of uh, of christians in america to be that we believe everything the governmental authorities tell us well we got good reason not to we need got good reason to be skeptical to be questioning in a respectful way and so you know what we said this to our congregation in the last in the last members meeting the two extremes we got to avoid is one that says, oh, well, governor so-and-so says we can't meet, you know, and, and uh, we need to uh, wear certain color hats. Okay, Romans 13, okay, we just have to do it. Well, that's wrong. The other is to just shake your fist in the face of every governmental authority and say, you're all a bunch of scoundrels, you know, and we hate you. Whatever. No, these are God's servants, and so we must recognize the authority of God and be respectful. However, however, we need to recognize that in the states, in the counties, in the cities, in the nation thus far, for decades, we have governmental authorities that have been slaughtering up to a million unborn babies every year. Mm-hmm. So we have a government that runs roughshod over the Sixth Commandment. What, what 
why should we give them an automatic pass and default to assume that they're going to keep the ninth commandment, that they're going to tell us the truth all the time? And whenever a governor or any magistrate says, oh, look, it's okay, as Governor Newsom in California has done, it's okay for Black Lives Matter to be out on the streets rioting, protesting, looting because they have a good cause. Mm -hmm. But churches you can't meet because of COVID-19, then somebody needs to stand up and say, Governor, you are untrustworthy. And though you say this, that you care, you don't care. This, this, these two things cannot be together. And that goes with the same argument. Jesus is king. Mm-hmm. You're his servant, and he is Lord of this church, and he has called us how to live as a church, what we're to do. And we're going to obey him, disobeying you, because you have proven yourself to be duplicitous in the way that you've handed out these edicts and what you allow and don't allow. Yeah, that is a very, very important point. And I w- we. I, want, I would encourage Christians to, you're going to have to do two things. You have to take, you have to drink deeply of the, the point you just highlighted that I'm going to underscore about, about our, our corrupt, our absolutely abominable government while respecting. Because we keep going back to Nero and we always, well, you know, I mean, it was really, I mean, we think it's bad now, go back to Nero. We think it's bad now, go back to Nero. <clears throat> I think it was CDC that looked up over 600,000 babies are slaughtered every year. And you really got to like, think about it. Yeah. And you're going to tell me to wear a mask. Yeah. You're going to require me to wear a mask. Because you say you care about the citizens of this nation. You care about life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, we can have Christian liberty and people can decide to obey and disobey or whatever. And so I want all everybody to know that, but you should be cautious about someone who says, Hey, I'm going to meet as a church. We're not going to listen to any of the stuff you're saying. Like we're not going to do any of it. We'll just use wisdom. Um, but we're not going to meet outside. We're not going to meet with half of our crew. We're not going to wear masks. We're not going to social distance as I was very glad to see. I think the Grace Community Church actually cited that as well, that you have no business social distancing. Though they did provide churches. opportunity. Provide opportunities. Just, we, yeah. we, can do, we can do all kinds of stuff as sure. a church, but we're not going to do it because, because you the tell us government to. is coming to tell us to do this. Um, it, it seems eminently reasonable to me for someone to say, you know, I don't think you really care about life because if you did, right, it's pretty clear what you would do. We're Absolutely. not talking about like, we're not talking about human trafficking. We're not talking about discrimination. We're not talking about, um, Oh, you know, well, we don't have as many people of this skin color or of this orientation mm-hmm. at the tables of society where decisions are made. Mm-hmm. You care about all of that stuff. And you're slaughtering over half a million babies every year. So our government, you have to understand, like, it's so hardened. It is so corrupt. It is such an abomination to God, given the way that we operate, that we we don't get to really look back and say, oh, well, look how, I mean, you know, we have it good. We have a terribly corrupt government. So not only should you give them a pass, I would 
second and affirm what you said, but you should be skeptical of what is handed down if people are saying that they care about life. You should be skeptical, and you should be thinking about your Christian responsibility to stand against tyrannical activity given what you already know about your government. Right. Go back and consider the Roe legislation again. Go yeah. back and consider a Burgafell and go back and consider God's word and then say, who who is gonna stand up and speak the truth to them? Right. Who yeah. you know so I mean, if I were in California, this would be my, again, people can take different takes on this, but if you have 6,000 people dying every year from a virus and now you have 8,000 people and you're, I don't know how many millions of people live in California, um, and and you're going to hand down an edict that says like a barber can't open up his, well, I've got biblical text, so you're not allowed to take a man's millstone. You can't take his, his, his way of providing for his family. He has, he has a familial responsibility to provide for his family, to care for his family, and... Um, this is tyranny. And so I would tell that man as a barber, well, you need to respectfully open your business. You don't have to, if you want to go try to do something else, there's other ways you can do it. But I say you have the right to, and I'm not going to say that you're even the one that's disobeying. It's your governor who's disobeying. You're actually obeying this constitution as you, as you've said. But if I'm step back, if you're going to say that because of a barber, you're talking about, you're talking about joining with the angels and seeing that, the God of creation is worshipped. The one who who's causing everyone's heart to beat. Uh, you know, I mean, I could go. You better say something before I say more stuff. <laughs> well, no, I'm, and you're highlighting something that is also very important that underlies a lot of the misconception. And I, you know, I think I picked up on this in some of uh, Mark and Jonathan's conversation as well. Look, there's a difference between Christian liberty, between wisdom and foolishness, and between uh, righteousness and sin. We need to be clear and not confuse those categories. Christian liberty has to do with adiaphora, things that are indifferent, what God has neither commanded nor forbidden. Okay, once we get those clear, then let's have conversations about how best to live in the things that are indifferent. Eat meat, don't eat meat. Uh, buy meat that has been previously sacrificed to idols or don't. You know, those, those are debates we can have, and your conscience needs to be clear and whatever you do on that. But whether a church should gather on the Lord's Day to worship or not is not a matter of Christian liberty. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of adiaphora. And so I, it just falls flat to me when I hear Christian ministers cite Romans 14. You know, each, each one be convinced in his own mind. Really? No, God has spoken on this. We're, we don't get a pass and say, well, you know, he hadn't forbidden it. He hadn't commanded it. So let's just fear it. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. This is a matter of sin and righteousness. Now, how we do that, how we do that, all right, now we're into wisdom and foolishness, and we want to try to be wiser uh, the best we can and, and less foolish the best that we can. Those, those three categories of debate need to be clarified because what I find happening more and more is matters of righteousness and sin being smuggled into conversations of Christian liberty. And we must not allow that. God has spoken to us. He has called us how we are to live as the church of Jesus Christ. And we've said this a hundred times, but it highlights again the substrata, the the foundation of all right thinking for Christians, and that is law and gospel. Mm -hmm. And I fear that what we're seeing today in some of the confusion and some of the, what I would say is, is, is not careful, critical thinking on these issues is a failure at the foundation to understand what God has commanded and what God has provided, law and gospel. And man, we need a recovery of that 
desperately. We have a book by Ernie Reisinger on that uh, called Law and Gospel. It's currently out of print. We're working on the second printing. Hope to have it available in a couple of weeks. But but this is crucial. This mm-hmm. is crucial. Yeah, whether to me or not to me, as you, you did a good job of uh, articulating those categories, liberty uh, of conscience and then um, actual commands that you do assemble. Uh, we're not saying that, say, in the outset of this thing, when they we were told two million people are going to sure. die from COVID and this is a whole new thing, and uh, I think it was Alito or somebody in one of their Supreme Court responses said, you know, it's understandable that if there's this massive right. pandemic, that the government, okay. So they, they said... Uh, they had all kinds of things that they said, the guidelines and all of that stuff in the beginning. We're not saying that, well, it's just a piece of cake, easy decision of whether you meet or not, or whether this, um, whether uh, all, all the time of whether the government can come in and legitimately tell church not to meet. We do believe there is a category. There's a place for the government coming in and saying, you don't assemble because you know, there's a guy over here that's going to burn the church down. We, we, whatever we're trying to detain him. Um, But, as that process goes along, the pastors all throughout our nation now need to be understanding that they're dealing with something that is a matter of sin and righteousness. Right. Now, we need wisdom, and it can be confusing and all of that. Sure. And But we're, we have to face up that that's the situation that we're in, and we need to be considering it in those categories, or else we're going to be signaling to everybody that's well, it's really whatever you kind of want to do with this. Yeah. Another thing that's that's manifesting itself in all of this is our understanding of evangelism, philosophy of ministry, how the gospel is advanced throughout the world. So you're having an everybody knows about the pressure. So you know, put on a mask. You're going to go out in front of all these people. You know, you better put on a mask. You better put on a mask. And um, <laughs> we can say a lot about that. But um, did the Apostle Paul try to become all things to all people? Absolutely, mm-hmm. he did. And so there is, I'm all for finding commonality with people and those kinds of things and um, trying, we don't want to be unnecessarily offensive. So mm-hmm. those those statements are true. Um, we want to let our conversation be always full of grace and seasoned mm-hmm. with salt. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know, I mean, if, when, when Paul went into Thessalonica and, you know, they tried to kill him and they tried to rough up all of his friends and everything, you know, do you, it's like I feel like what's going on right now is like somebody would come out with a podcast and be like, "Hey, Paul, you know, it's a better way to do this." We really need, that wasn't helpful. Yeah. That wasn't helpful. Could have been uncharitable. And you know, we need to remember we need to be all things to all men. It's like Paul's doing; he is being all things to all men. He is being charitable, right. and they still want to kill him. And, right. and he is being bold and courageous. And so. That's going on right now. It's like, well, you know, I want to wear a mask to find some kind of commonality with people, and I want to gain some kind of credibility with the world. That's not going to happen. It it, it happened earlier when we were more Judeo-Christian in our convictions, but as secularism is on the rise, and this arrogance is on the rise, and the slaughtering of babies is on the rise, and homosexuality is on the rise, you're not, in one sense, you're not just dealing with, like, the LGBTQ community that one day you're Mm going to have to stand up against. You're dealing with the whole notion, the whole way that America as a society is is increasingly uh, feeling, and they they're going to hate God, and they're going to hate you for loving God and for worshiping God. And our evangelism is going to look very much more, and ought to look much more, like the Book of Acts. You go in and you preach the gospel, mm-hmm. and people are offended, and people want to kill you for it. And you're not being mean to them, but you're telling. If, if you're operating on this principle, and I, this is where JD Greer was, I know he said we need to be known as friends or seen as friends of the LGBTQ mm-hmm. community. Well, that's a whole different 
deal than actually being a friend. All right, and and dealing with that, uh, this has happened with the abuse crisis in the Southern Baptist Convention. I heard people saying, you know, we have to deal with this, or there won't be a future of an SBC. And they weren't talking about like we have a massive right. abuse problem. Right. They right. were talking about people need to see. We, we have to do this for the way. We, I mean, we know some back channel conversations of people in the highest levels that are with us, but are saying, hey, I'm with you. But we have to do this because because this is the way. So we keep having this idea that we're going to evangelize through being um, nice for, for, for making them. Think think that we're good people but it's not going to work like that we're just just be a calvinist be faithful calvinist we're totally depraved they're, they're not gonna like it you might at certain cultural moments in history there might be a time where people kind of recognize that and there will be people that that are not christians that can still get you know i don't really know he's a good guy so you should mm-hmm. do what's moral you should do what's upright but if you're operating on this principle that i'm going to get all of these people to kind of approve me anoint me think that yes this is this is right and good that is a that is a conviction that leads to apostasy right that's a conviction that has no place for hell you know i'm not going to preach you burn and turn sermon i'm not going to be that jonathan edwards kind of character that's what i'm afraid is underneath a lot of the way people are trying to operate right now and it comes right back to law and gospel who gets to define love God's the one who defines love. Mm -hmm. And so today we hear so much going on under the banner of, hey, neighbor love. We got to love our neighbors. So we're going to wear masks. We're going to love our neighbors because so we're not going to meet. I had a conversation with a group of pastors uh, not too long ago in in which most of them weren't meeting. The churches were not yet meeting. And, um, you know, the we're just trying to show love to our community. We're trying to show love to our neighbors. We're trying to, you know, be be loving by how the, the, the decisions we're making. And so when the question came to me, I said, well, I said, our elders decided that the most loving thing we can do for our neighbors is to start meeting every Lord's Day again and coming and worshiping the God of heaven who exists, who sent his son into the world to save the Lord Jesus Christ, because we want to testify to our community that that God is and that he is full of love and compassion and he's worthy of worship. And that's the most loving thing that we can do. Well, we didn't get that on our own. We got that from the word of God. God is the one who defines what love is. And very often, people don't want real love. What they want is what they've determined and defined to be loving. And so they manipulate and they yeah. blackmail. I mean, you know, Jesus was pretty loving, right? And he got crucified. He got crucified. Right. And so this mentality that we can somehow nice our way into the good graces of the culture and of unbelievers, it's wrongheaded. It is not what Paul means in First Corinthians 9 at all. Right. And, and, and you know, I'm trying to match my tone to this, too, the governor of California, governor of Nevada, uh, by Pastor John MacArthur and Grace Community Church Gathering. They were loving you. Absolutely. And we're having this conversation because we love Absolutely. you. Absolutely. We do. And, and you know, back to the whole, you know, should you find a way to obey a tyrant who, you know, is sinning against God by handing down the law that he handed down. But you can find a way to disassemble your church and meet in small groups and still not sin but obey the, the tyrant. One of the arguments for not doing that and actually disobeying the tyrant is to love them is to say we're going to assemble as a testimony that we we do love you and we if you keep doing this you're going to end up like Agrippa and that wasn't a good situation and and so I mean we there, there's that's such an important point for Christians to be thinking about yeah I, we really do want we do love even the governors and the rulers who are handing down these um, terrible edicts and and hand in hand with that is understanding the cost of love 
know, greater love has no man than to lay down his life for another. Well, that includes loving you in a way that is going to cost me my life. And so Christians, man, especially Christians in America, we need to be prepared to lose our lives, our livelihoods, our incomes, uh, our buildings and whatever. We need to love enough to do what God has called us to do. And when the sword falls upon us, Mm -hmm. we say, okay, by God's grace, we have loved you through the shedding of our own blood. Amen. We have to be willing to die uh, for that, and that's huge for us. And and by God's grace, Christians will get there. And and then we need to see the the practical applications even to these things, which in, this is this is um, one of the ideas. That Jonah Goldberg wrote an interesting book called uh, Liberal Fascism, and his argument was like, when fascism comes to America, it will come in Nike shoes, and it'll smiley be face. Smiley, smiley face fascism. And he actually talks about Woodrow Wilson. He claims it came with Woodrow Wilson's presidency. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting. I think Phil Johnson started citing all of these mask mandates, and they were all from like 1918. And I was like, oh my. That was like, <laughs> that was that was kind of creepy. Um but so so be prepared that's the way it will come and that that means you've got to deal with like i know it seems strange so for like the mask thing it, it just seems self-serving but you know i was watching a demonstration recently with somebody and they they had smoke and they blew smoke <laughs> and it blows a cloud all over your head yeah it but that, blows, that didn't have any of the covid uh it, viruses in it it blows a cloud and you know it's like well god made your nose to kind of shoot that stuff down there where you know other people won't breathe it and this is blowing a big old cloud and everybody else is walking you know through the cloud and i started to go i mean wherever my brothers and sisters want to shake down on this but if some guy's walking around without a mask on and everybody's saying you know you don't love anybody you should be highly skeptical that they're right i mean he could be saying i'm not gonna wear a mask because i love you guys like Mm -hmm. let's if we're gonna play that card let's do it on something that's far more biblical and clear through divine revelation through general revelation than this idea you know well no everybody needs to mask up given the corrupt government that we have and the ways that they're trying to signal all kinds of 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 bad things through this so we we in some sense a lot of people want to say well those things are political or whatever they're but they're not they're real issues that we're facing right now what issues of life yeah in this nation that has been blessed of God in its founding and for much of its history to recognize that there is a God in heaven and he has endowed his image bearers with unalienable rights. And again, I, uh, the last few years, I think I've said this before, I have found myself becoming more patriotic, more thankful for the nation in which I live than I have ever been in my life. As I've studied what's happening to this nation, the deconstructive forces that have been unleashed on this nation, and to see how they have an agenda, they have a goal to completely overthrow. It's a revolution. And to try to, to pull down what has been good and what has been blessed of God in this nation. Now, again, you know, this nation has all kind of uh, paganism in it, and it is godless in so many ways. But we look back to its founding. We can thank God. It wasn't perfect. It's not utopia. But it recognized God, and it recognized the rights that God gives to his image bearers. And praise God for that, because it is unlike most every other nation that has existed in the history of humanity in that regard. And it is worth, for those of us who live and have thrived and prospered in this nation it is worth us standing up for the sake of god and what he has done here and say 
we're not going any further. We're going to, to resist. We're going to defy. We're going to proclaim the kingship of Jesus over every square inch of this nation and his world, which he created. And we're going to call men and women to repent of their rebellion against this God and to be reconciled to him by bowing to King Jesus, mm-hmm. who shed his blood for sinners. Yeah, I, I, yeah the, the tone needs to be right. And we know in this conversation, we know that we're uh, taking sides of disagreement against brothers and sisters whom we love. And we want to do it fraternally, but we want to do it unapologetically. And we want to call Christians, especially pastors, to wake up and to look at what is happening. Under the providence of God, he's sovereign. We have no reason to panic, no reason to despair, but to be discerning of the times in which we live. Man, we need that greatly. And if our assessment is accurate, if we're in the right ballpark, then it is time for Christians and churches to be humbled, to repent, to call upon God to come and act, because we're not getting out of this without God's almighty power, but to stand without compromise on his truth, on his word, and say, we are not budging from here, and it doesn't matter what the cost or the consequences might be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what you do right now matters. So um, there are people that have sacrificed and have suffered ridicule uh, for all sorts of things. You know, it's helpful historically to remember that um, often Christians have suffered doing Christian things while people claimed they were being immoral. Right. I've used the example of one of the early martyrs who who had to yell death to the atheists. And of course, this was because by saying that, he would be renouncing Christianity. And because according to those who were trying to make him say death to the atheist, you were atheist because you weren't worshiping the emperor. And so to say death to the atheist. So they were calling Christians atheists, which would be an, uh, um, an immoral thing to do. Or uh, going to the Lord's table, eating and drinking mm. uh, the bread and the cup. Well, you know, well, you're in there. You're some kind of cannibal practices. Baptism, you're yeah. being accused. So just because you're being accused by a whole bunch of people of doing immoral things doesn't mean you're doing immoral exactly. things. Exactly. And, and in many ways, this is one of the, seems like certainly a peak uh, or the first time this is really breaking in upon American Christianity the way that it's breaking in now. And so men have to have courage. I mean, many of our leaders really have to have courage. I'm so grateful that John MacArthur did Amen. what he did um, because it matters. Like when you meet and you preach the gospel to God's people, it is a means of grace to them. There is an mm-hmm. actual work that is done. And when uh, wicked governors try to stop that from happening, if it actually stops, then bad stuff happens. Right. And just start with that and say, well, we're going to do what the Lord says. We yeah. must obey God rather than men. Yeah, I think that uh, this is exposed. What's happened here in the last few months in America is exposed just how superficial our understanding has been of what worship really is. You know, we just quote, go to church, you know, we'll go online, you know, or we'll catch the sermon when it comes out. Like all that kind of stuff has been uh, pretty current in American ways of thinking about Mm -hmm. Christianity. And because that had already prepared the ground, then when these things happen, oh, well, sure, we can meet online. Oh, okay, we don't have to gather. And we just have lost what you pointed out, Ephesians 3.10, that man, the the church, in the church, God has determined that his manifold wisdom will be put on display to the unseen principalities and powers. 
And when we don't gather, that's not happening. Whenever we bow to some tyrannical edict that says, hey, churches can't meet, then we are saying, okay, there's something more valuable to us than what God has said and given us in Christ. So when, when it comes down to the point where Christians have to disobey civil authorities, what we're saying is, Jesus is more valuable to me than liberty or life or whatever these tyrants might take from me. Mm-hmm. Jesus is more valuable. And we need that, we need that, that uh, message proclaimed. We need that testimony going out from every faithful church of Jesus Christ in our day. Now, again, I'm willing to have the debates and disagreements with brothers who would see it in different light, but all of us must agree on that. We must love and value Jesus more than anyone. Amen. Well, if uh, you've enjoyed this podcast, it's been beneficial for you, would, would you do us the favor of sharing it, uh, subscribe to it, let other people know about it, and uh, if we can help you in any way, contact us. We, we would love to try to be of service to you to the best of our ability. We want to especially thank our FAM members. Uh, we have Founders Alliance members that uh, support us monthly and help us do what we're doing. And, and God has opened up some wide opportunities for founders. We can't take advantage of all of them. We need wisdom and knowing how to take advantage of which ones we should. But uh, we would love to take advantage of more. And as the Lord provides, then by his grace, we will seek to do that. So if you would prayerfully consider that, stand with us. Uh, that would be uh, wonderfully appreciated, greatly helpful. You can go to the founders.org website and find all the information about how you can become a, a financial supporter and a member of the Founders family.